All right, if you'll find Romans chapter number 10 this morning, we will continue our series in the book of Romans, looking at this particular book of the Bible, of course, in a verse-by-verse manner. And we've arrived at verse number 12. We have covered uh, quite a bit of ground over the last couple of weeks, just in chapter number 10 alone. And chapter number 10, of course, is uh, known for its familiarity. Uh, Many people uh, declare the 10th chapter of Romans to be part of what is often referred to as the Romans Road, uh, which I'm not completely against it as long as we fully understand the context of what's being said here. And remember, the Apostle Paul in the 10th chapter of Romans is looking at the failure of Israel primarily. He's looking at Israel's failure to submit to the righteousness of God as God has appointed it. Now that doesn't mean that it's not for the Gentile as well. It doesn't mean that it's not for us this morning. But remember that Paul in this particular chapter has got his mind set on Israel. And he started off the chapter by clearly stating that. He says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel And again, don't make the mistake of saying because it specifically mentions Israel that it doesn't include us. Uh, That's kind of the theme we're going to look at this morning because in the very first verse we're going to read in verse number 12, and I just want to read that verse, and then we're going to, instead of reading the entire text this morning, we're going to just read each verse as we get to it. But look at verse number 12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. You might mark that expression. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Now it would be an accurate statement for for me to say this. The same Lord over all is rich. Now, that would be an accurate statement. I could take that statement and say that is true about God. However, it is in the full statement, the full expression, that shows to us the reality of who the Apostle Paul is writing to. He says the Lord, or the same Lord over all, is rich unto all that call upon him. It is a fair statement to say the Lord is rich. It's not just, we're not talking about money per se. We're not talking about financial resources. But he is rich. But specifically, Paul says, he is rich unto all that call upon him. To those who have called upon the Lord, he is Lord over all. He is rich. He is without end. He is everlasting. But Paul also wants us to see very clearly And he he determines this by writing it in such a distinct manner. He says there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. What difference was he talking about? He's talking about there is not a different God of the Jews and a different God to the Gentiles. There is not a God who is rich to the Jews but not rich to the Gentiles. There's not a God who's rich to the Gentiles but not rich to the Jews. He says it is the same Lord. The same Lord is the same Lord to all men, but he is rich unto all men who call upon him. The promise is the same to all. 
Paul doesn't say that the same Lord overall is rich unto the Jew only or unto the Greek only. He says he is rich unto all that call upon him. All believers who are in Christ today have come through the same Jesus. There is not a Jesus of the Jews and a Jesus of the Gentiles. There is not a God of the Old Testament and then a separate new God of the New Testament. It is the same Lord who has been the Lord forevermore and always will be. Now, we need to understand what Paul is talking about here when he deals with this calling on the name of the Lord. We know that to be in Christ means there was a time, there was a moment, there was a, a, a point in time when you called upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you did that in humility. You did that without any regard to your own righteousness. But how do any call upon the name of the Lord in the first place? Because Paul says that the same Lord is rich unto all who call upon him. Is this calling unto the Lord something that I muster up? Is it something that I create? Or is there something behind how this call upon the Lord occurs? How, do, how do, does anybody in this world call upon the Lord Jesus Christ? We might simply say, well, they just make a choice one day to say, I'm going to call upon the Lord. How do they call upon a Lord and they've never heard of? Now, we hear that expression a lot. And Paul's going to deal with this thought. Just, we're going to just touch the, the, the tip of this uh, today. But how does anybody call upon the Lord who's never heard of him? Now, we might say today, we may say, how in the world can there be anybody in the entire world who's never heard of the name Jesus? How do they not know? We say today that there is more ability and opportunity to get the word of the gospel out than there's ever been before. I mean, literally, I could preach this sermon this morning, and within 30 seconds, it goes worldwide by the simple touch of a couple of buttons. The whole world could hear it. Yet the Apostle Paul is talking about how to call upon this Lord. The gospel is to be preached to the Jew and the Gentiles. The same message to the Jews is the same message to the Gentiles. In other words, if the gospel call goes to a Jew, I don't change it and make it a God of the Jews and then go to the Gentile and make it a God of the Gentiles. The same Lord. The subject this morning, the same Lord, it, is, it is a, uh, seems like an obvious expression. But somebody God has ordained is to show men, Jew and Greek alike, in whom they are to call upon. There is a biblical responsibility to call men to repent, to call men to to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel should be proclaimed to all. The gospel should be to those who need to hear. The gospel should be preached to the Jew, to the Greek. There is no difference. What does the word declare? Declares there is one Lord who is the same Lord over all. One Lord, same Lord over all. The gospel is not given just to be known as a fact. The gospel is given that they may know the Lord Jesus Christ, this Lord. 
The gospel is not given just to be heard. The gospel is given to be believed. But the gospel is also not just given as a matter of facts. It is given as a command to be obeyed. When we preach the gospel, when we call on men to come to Christ, we are doing that on the authority of the word of God, not on the authority of our humanity. We're doing it on the authority of the gospel. You should come to Christ, and it is a command of God that all men would believe. The very beginning of our faith and the strength of our faith is based upon the fact that we heard the gospel. And we didn't just hear it as a matter of fact. We heard it as someone to be known and someone to be obeyed. So it's not just hearing the word. It is heeding the word. It is obeying the word. We might say this as an accurate statement. It might be fair to say, and I can't give you, I can't back this up with statistics. It might be fair to say that at this point in time, in 2019, it might be fair to say that 75% of the entire world has heard about Jesus. It might be fair to say that. I can't say it for certain. But if I was to tell you that 100% of the world has now heard it, would that equate to 100% conversion? And the answer would be no. So it's not just about hearing the word. It is not just hearing about this same Lord. It is obeying the command to call upon Christ. So the same Lord, Paul says, is the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Again, verse 12, what a blessed word that is. There is no difference. I'm glad this morning there is not a different God of the Jews and a different God of the Gentiles and a different God of different nations, that it is the same Lord over all. I will tell you this morning, there are some that want to keep a difference. There are some today that say, we want a God of the Jews and we want a God of the Gentiles. We want a God of the Old Testament, we want a God of the New Testament. There are people today who say that the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New. And I would say to you, he is the same Lord. Now, yes, God has dealt with man. God has dealt with individuals. He's dealt with nations. And there have been times where we looked at the word of God and we say, this appears to be simply a God only of the nation of Israel. And we see those truths. But do not lose the sight of the fact that the Apostle Paul says there is no difference between these lords as far as the responsibility and the requirement to call upon him. That's where this lies. I know there's a debate, and there has been a debate, and there will be a debate for years. And this morning, this message is not about uh, that particular argument. And we're not talking about, uh, is, is Israel now the church? And is, is the church Israel? Are we talking about the, the, the theory, uh, the idea of replacement theology? No, we're not talking about any of that this morning. We are very simply telling you that the Bible says there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Now, again, we could get into a lot of different theories as to how has God dealt with man. We could talk about where we take a primary stand as a church, and we can talk about a covenant theology. Uh, we could argue that and compare and contrast that with, uh, the, the, with dispensationalism. We could do all those arguments today, and we could miss this point. Paul says that the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. 
Again, we could have lots of different debates about this. But understand something, Paul is not majoring on the difference because he says there is no difference. The same Lord over all is rich. No difference between the Jew and the Gentile. Those who have called upon the Lord is a people that God has chosen from before the foundation of the world. There are people all over this planet today They can be found in every corner of every country, of every nation, on every continent. There is a spiritual seed that God has marked out for his very own. They're everywhere. There are believers all over this world. They're not just American believers. They're not uh, just Spanish believers. They are known by this one common denominator. They've all called upon the same Lord. Every one of them. Whether you're 5,000 miles away or you're right around the corner, if you are in Christ, you called upon the same Lord. Not a Lord of your own or a Lord of that nation. You called upon this Lord. He is rich. Let's just think about that phrase for just a minute. He is rich. He is rich to whom? To all who have called upon him. Who calls upon the Lord? It is those who believe. Those who believe know that he is rich. Why? Because he has placed upon us mercies that cannot be measured. He has put upon us blessings which cannot be numbered. That is impossible for you this morning, if you are in Christ, to be able to put a numerical value on how much the Lord has blessed you. It's impossible for you to do that today. If I was to give you a pen and paper or sit you down at a computer and say, listen, I want you to give me a list of only 10 things. You ought to be able to go well beyond 10 and keep writing and writing and writing and writing because there is no limit to this phrase, he is rich. He has given you great mercy such as he has forgiven your sin. He has given you peace with God. He has reconciled you unto himself. And you have the hope of glory in you. People often say, how do we stir people to be involved in evangelism? How do we stir people to be involved in the gospel? The greatest way for you to be involved in evangelism and the gospel is to consider that he is rich unto you. And because of the richness he's given to you, how do you take that blessing and those mercies and go into the world, into the highways and the hedges and tell people, this is the same Lord, here he is. You can't motivate people to talk about Jesus unless they know about his mercies and they know about the blessings. That's why people talk about the Lord. That's why people get excited about the things of God is because they know God is rich. Now this is in contrast to the prosperity gospel people who today say he's rich and he's so rich monetarily that he wants to give you a big bank account. If that's all you get out of Jesus is that I'm going to get something big from him, monetarily speaking, you're believing a false gospel and that is not the God of the Bible. Jesus is not so much concerned about your earthly things, although he is, more concerned about your spiritual situation. Again, I think the earthly blessings are just a bonus. 
The fact we have roofs over our, ho- over our heads today. The fact that we have jobs and we're able to take care of ourselves and we're able to even meet as a church. These, these are just extra blessings and extra mercies of God. Uh, this is not even the primary reason why he came. He came in order that he might save us and that through our salvation, his glory might be known throughout the whole world. It's really quite an amazing thought. But he is rich. The word of God presents one way of salvation. I shared this on one of the social media platforms, whether it was Facebook or Twitter, I can't remember which one, but something I came across in my own reading this week, but I want to repeat it again. It's a quote, says, The word of God presents uniformly one way of salvation, one rule of faith. From Genesis to Revelation, there is one immutable moral law, one glorious gospel for perishing sinners. The Old Testament believers were saved with the same salvation, were indebted to the same Redeemer, were renewed by the same Spirit, and were partakers of the same heavenly inheritance as our New Testament believers. A.W. Pink said that. Hated in most Baptist circles. Very sad. There's one Lord, same Lord, one glorious gospel. But I think he's got it right. Pink's got it right. He's got it right from the standpoint that he's based it upon what the Scripture has said, and he's backing it up with what the Apostle Paul has said. There is one Lord. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. But notice he goes one step further, and he talks about that calls upon him. Look at verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now he introduces the word or the phrase, the name of the Lord. So verse 12 says that call upon him. Verse 13 gives us an expansion of who the him is. The name of the Lord. We call upon that name. That name is what? The Lord Jesus Christ. We call upon that name. Why? Because we have confidence and we have full trust by calling upon that name That name is the very essence of our salvation. We speak to the Lord Jesus Christ. We speak to God, rather, in prayer. Often we acknowledge, we come to the Lord in the name of Christ. We use the name of Christ not in a flippant manner, but we use the name of Christ in a reverent manner, declaring unto him the majesty of God. Jesus Christ himself is the perfect image of the Trinity. He is the perfect image of God. And I love this fact. Again, some would argue with us saying we don't believe this. And I'm refuting that saying we believe in the whosoever. Why? Because the Bible says. Now we understand how the whosoever calls, right? But yes, we believe in whosoever means whosoever. The doctrines of grace do not erase the whosoever wills. And the the minute you reconcile those two thoughts and realize they're not fighting each other, whosoever will is not fighting against the sovereignty of God. It is actually working in, in concert with it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. There's only one way for all. However, it is only real for those who call upon him. Does it do any good for me to just simply tell you this morning that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but they don't and they won't? 
Does that mean the whos- does that mean that the whosoever now takes on a grander meaning? No. The reality is is that whosoever invitation or that whosoever is only real to the person who calls upon the name of the Lord. That whosoever across the street or that whosoever at our job or that whosoever at our school or whatever the case may be, you can tell them that they are whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord and it may not be real to them, have any merit at all. I don't understand what you're talking about. But it is very real to the person who has called upon the name of the Lord. You realize today that you were a whosoever. But why did you call? What made you identify Christ as Jehovah? What made you say, Jesus Christ is the name above every name in which I may call upon, and by calling upon him, I will now be able to have a certainty of my eternal destination. It's interesting, in the book of Joel, the Old Testament book of Joel, if you want to turn there this morning, it's not a book, sadly, that we turn to very much. Uh, There are people who are uh, afraid of its implications. There are people who say, I I just don't fully understand all that Joel is talking about. Is is Joel talking about uh, this particular time in in, in, uh, history? When when does it take place? What is it? But I want you to see what what Joel says in Joel chapter number 2, verse 32, regarding this. This is an amazing uh, picture of this. Joel 2, 32. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Calling upon the Lord, a calling on the name of the Lord, equates to approaching God in saving faith. That's what this means. Being delivered here in Joel 2, verse 32, has really two applications. Number one, he's talking about physical deliverance, but he's also talking about spiritual deliverance. What does it mean to be delivered? It means to be rescued. What does man need to be rescued from? Man needs to be rescued from the wrath and condemnation of God. Every man Every woman needs to be delivered from the wrath and condemnation of God. Who are those who are delivered? Those who call upon the name of the Lord. Now what Joel is saying here, notice he says at the very end, whom the Lord shall call. Here's the designation or here's the significance of this. Those who call on the Lord are identified as those the Lord called. Now think about that for a minute. Those who call upon the name of the Lord are the ones that the Lord has called. Those who God in his sovereignty calls respond how? By calling on him in salvation. Why did I call upon the Lord? Because he called me. He called me unto himself. Again, we could argue about what is Joel's purpose. What's the book of Joel about? It's about judgment. It's about judgment that is to come. We could argue about when does it take place? Are we talking about uh, what time in human history? We can look at the Bible. We can say, there is still the whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
The same Lord over all is rich unto whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. But then the Apostle Paul introduces another thought. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Well, we just learned from Joel 2.32. Those who respond to the call were called by God himself. But God uses a means to call his own unto himself. That's what Romans 10 verse 14 is. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom, in him rather, of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? A saving call of faith must be a real call of faith. You say, what does that mean? There will be no true worship of God unless it is founded upon a real faith in God. In other words, this is not just some flippant idea that, that Paul gives here that we simply just go out and we just uh, randomly hope that the right people hear. There is a connection here that those who call upon him are the ones that the Lord himself has called. But he uses the preacher. He uses the word to awaken, to call his own to himself. Have you ever stopped to wonder, why did God do it this way? Why does God use mere humans like you and I to preach this glorious gospel? Could he have not done it another way? Could he have not uh, made it just miraculously the heart of man, just make the heart of man suddenly call upon God? Guess how he does it? He does it through the preaching of the word. When you come to the preaching of the word, we're not just talking about some kind of an intellectual ascent to try to make you smarter. We are talking about the very thing in which God has said, this is the way I'm going to call men unto myself. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, I'm going to call you to the same Lord by these gospel preachers who are going to go out into all the ends of the earth and they are going to call you unto myself. This same Lord who is rich. You can't proclaim the name of the Lord without thinking about His majesty and thinking about His name. And the Apostle Paul here, as he writes this, these thoughts and he writes these through the inspiration, he goes on in verse 15, how shall they preach? Notice he, there's a connection between how shall them who've not believed hear and how shall they preach? These gospel preachers, how shall they be what? Except they be sent as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things, exclamation point. This is not Paul just simply saying, hey, I got a, something for you to consider. It's not a really a big deal. There's an exclamation point because Paul is saying, this is unbelievably good. The gospel is necessary. Without the truth of the gospel and the revelation that God gives and the scripture that reveals to us who God is, there can be no faith. A person that says, I've been saved apart from any of the scripture. I was saved apart from hearing the gospel. They weren't saved at all. Man is not saved apart from the gospel. 
He's not saved apart from revelation of God. Prosperity gospel preachers would tell you you can be saved by it. You can be saved by anything. It doesn't have to be the gospel. Paul says, no, the gospel is necessary. And not only is the gospel necessary for belief, the gospel is necessary for those who preach. Without the gospel, there is nothing precious about what we're talking about this morning. The preciousness is found in preaching the gospel. There's no greater thing you could hear today than the gospel. Uh, There's nothing greater you could be doing today than sitting under the preaching and teaching of the word of God. I love what Isaiah says in Isaiah 52, 7. And this is what Paul was quoting. He was not just making this up. Again, the one God of the old and the God of the new. Here Paul dispels that whole thought because he's quoting Isaiah 52, 7. Here's what it says. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. How beautiful the feet. Uh, Isaiah was speaking of the, the expression of great delight in the messengers who bring good news. Ultimately, even Isaiah in Isaiah 52 was referring to gospel preachers. There are people who will tell you and they're telling their churches today that there is no gospel in the Old Testament. If there's no gospel in the Old Testament, then that's a different God. There is a gospel in the Old Testament. Here's what their, here's what their argument is. There's no gospel because Jesus had not yet been put to the cross, buried, and rose again. They simplify the gospel to say the gospel is nothing more than believing mentally that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Now, those are all true. But how do you respond in Isaiah 52 when he's writing about salvation or Joel was talking about calling upon the name of the Lord? Jesus Christ had not yet come bodily, yet they were proclaiming it is the same Lord. There are are preachers who will fight you to the death over what I just said. They will tell you there is no hint of the gospel anywhere until after Jesus comes. The gospel is all over the Bible. It's all over. Yet, how shall they believe? How shall they hear? There's no such thing as believing what you've never heard. You understand what I'm saying? There's no such thing as believing what you've never heard. How can you believe in something you've never heard? None of us would do that in the normal realm. How can you believe in something you know nothing about? You couldn't. How could you possibly have something known to you that has never been made known to you? What Paul is saying here is he's not saying you just need to hear the word. You need to not only hear the word, but know in whom the word is about. The word is about the word, the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot believe without hearing the word. You cannot hear without a preacher. You cannot call upon the name of the Lord without a messenger who's bringing the gospel. How is it possible How is it possible that they can even preach? Look how the gospel works. There's a calling upon the name of the Lord. Why do I call upon the name of the Lord? That's a result of the gift of faith. 
There is faith, the Bible says, that comes by hearing, but there is the hearing that comes by preaching. Here's God's working of salvation. He's provided salvation in Christ Jesus. He sends the preacher to tell about this Jesus. Men hear it, they believe it, they call upon the Lord, and they are saved. But how does man typically respond to the gospel? He tries to make a way of his own righteousness. See, the gospel's already completed. You accept what's already been completed. It's not about what you can do to save you. It is about what Christ has already done to save you. And it's not about Jesus has done his part. Now you do your part. Jesus is salvation. Christ is salvation. We have no self-confidence and we only have confidence in him. As soon as you place all of your confidence, as soon as you call upon the name of the Lord, to truly call in saving faith is to have trust in nothing else and no one else but Christ. He says, how shall they preach except they be sent? Preaching will, not be, will, preaching will never produce belief except they be sent. In other words, in order for that preaching to produce faith and to produce belief, They've got to be sent. If God doesn't send the man to do the preaching, he would have been better off to stay home. If a man claims himself to be, I'm sent by myself and not sent by God, he might as well have stayed home. Why? Because it says it's only as God sends. It is only the gospel in which God gives. How shall they preach except they be sent? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, the glad tidings of good things. God makes that same preacher who goes to be the source of this good news. By the preaching comes the hearing, and by the hearing comes belief, and by belief comes calling. I believe before I call. I am enabled to believe before I call. I call upon the name of the Lord because I've been enabled to believe. Christ, he has called me. And then thirdly, the same Lord over all is rich unto all who, have call, who call upon him, but not all have obeyed the gospel. All three of these points are very similar, but you notice there's a little bit difference in the wording. Paul now introduces the hearing. Look what he says in verse 16, but they have not all obeyed, or the, the obedience rather, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? They have not all obeyed the gospel. Here's that command, that the gospel is not something just to be heard. It's not something to be done. It is something to be obeyed. But they have not all obeyed. The gospel has authority to it, or the apostle Paul would never talk about obeying the gospel. Remember, we talked about the whosoever. We talked about the sovereignty of God. We talked about the responsibility of man. We've, I've talked about how man damns himself and do not allow the doctrines of grace, do not allow the doctrines of election, do not allow the doctrines of sovereignty to say the reason I will not obey the gospel is because of that. You will not obey the gospel because you are a disobedient person. Now again, we struggle with these truths, but yet that's what the Bible says. 
Look what, look what he says. He goes further and he said, have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah say, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Question mark. Yes. Yes. Verily or truly, their sound, who? The preachers who bring good tidings have gone where? Into all the earth. And their words unto the ends of the world. But what happened? They didn't obey. There are many people who've heard the gospel all their life. There are people who are now senior adults. They're senior citizens. They've heard the gospel since they were four or five years old in a church. They've grown up all their life. They've heard the gospel over and over and over again and yet still have not obeyed. Is it because they didn't hear? No. You know what the number one reason is used for people to go into the ends of the earth to preach the gospel? And they'll plead with you with this because they need to hear. The reality is the gospel's gone out. They've heard it. The problem is they haven't obeyed it. See, there's a whole different reason for missions when you think about that. Is it because the world hasn't heard or is it because they've heard and they've not obeyed? Now, the Apostle Paul, let's keep the context. He's talking primarily about Israel. Israel could not say, we've never heard of this Lord. We have never heard of this Messiah. We've never heard the gospel. Why? Because every Old Testament prophet was preaching the gospel and speaking of the Messiah who would come. Israel could never stand up and say, we didn't know Christ was who he said he was. Now again, I gave you that random statistic. 75% of the world has heard. And again, I have no idea. I have no idea how many have heard. But does hearing equate obedience? Not always. Does hearing always equate a calling upon the name of the Lord? Not always. Is it possible to sit in a church house all of your life and hear the gospel and never obey it? Absolutely. Is it possible for you to one day be a faithful member of a church only to find yourself within months no longer a part of the church? Well, they heard the gospel. That doesn't mean they obeyed it. I was on a church roll for 50 years. I was baptized. It doesn't mean that you obeyed the gospel. Folks, it's concerning when the gospel has become so watered down that you can't tell the difference between the real gospel and the false gospel. Isaiah said, Lord, who believed our report? He was indicating there were very few that believed. And if with, it, with regard to Israel, there were very few that did. God declares, them that, declares to them that they're not believing is a disobedience. So if you have heard today or you've heard the gospel all of your life, your excuse is not that I haven't heard. Your, your reasoning is, is I refuse to obey it. The gospel has come to you with the force of a command if you reject it, you sin against God. It is your responsibility to believe it. 
Faith cometh by hearing, verse 17 says, and hearing by the word of God. If you're seeking salvation by just being a hearer, you'll miss it. It'll deceive you into saying, I've heard the gospel. Verse 19, but I say, did not Israel know? Not only does he say that they've heard, but they've, they knew. Now, we understand that verse 18 also refers to general revelation in creation. Like when you look out into the world, it is obvious that a God created it. Only a fool believes otherwise. And again, I, that may, I may not have been the most kind word, but that's the reality. To look out on the world and say that this was just happenstance and not believe that a God created it takes a fool to, 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 to believe it. General revelation says there's a God at the very least. But Paul's words are more specific. Did not Israel know? Israel had been told by whom? First Moses. Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. Israel had been told that they were worshiping false gods. They had been told over and over again as they worshiped non-gods, the Lord would gather a non-people to be his own in order to provoke them to jealousy. Who are the non-people? Non-Israel. Gentiles. To do what? To provoke them to jealousy? To now suddenly claim a God who they were rejecting? Say, well, well wait a minute. That Lord is our God. That's why Paul said, the same Lord is rich unto all who call upon him. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Because when the Jews found out what God was doing, that he was provoking them to jealousy by giving their God, air quotes, to someone else, they responded by saying, he's not their God. The whole Pharisaical teaching was about that. But Isaiah is very bold, verse 20, and saith, I was found to them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Did Israel know? They certainly did. Did they believe? For the most part, no. Moses told them that if they continued to worship false gods, if they continued to reject Christ, Christ would reject them and Christ would be preached to the Gentiles. But Isaiah, bold. God would save a people. Notice what it says. I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest to them that asked not for me. This is powerful. God would save a people who never sought after God. He would send the gospel to a people who were dead in their sins and never asked to receive the light and life of God. Who is that? That's the Gentiles. I was found of them that sought me not. Here is the revelation of the sovereign grace of God. God choosing and saving whom he will, no matter what their condition was, by exercising his sovereignty and his mercy on people who wanted nothing to do with him. Don't ever get so caught up in all the debate that you think you're better than the Jews were. Apart from his glorious grace and calling upon you, you would have nothing to hope in either. 
to Israel, he saith, all day long I've stretched forth my hands. This is an attitude of invitation. This is an attitude of readiness. To whom? A disobedient and gainsaying people. This is what God has done. This is what Christ is doing today. If you're hearing the word of God today and you are still unregenerate, you are still unconverted, he is holding his hands out to you and he is inviting you to say, obey the gospel. Again, don't use any other excuse as to why you won't obey. Don't blame God for your disobedience. God stretched forth his hands before Israel and they were disobedient and gainsaying. I love, I came across this quote from John Newton. And if you know the story of John Newton, you know that John Newton knows exactly what it is to be saved by grace. The man gave us the hymn that we all know, Amazing Grace, and he was a slave trader, and he was a wicked, vile man. John Newton was someone who you would never have invited to your house because he was just that vile. And when I read quotes from John Newton, I realize I'm reading quotes from a man not glorying in his sin, but a man who really knew what the mercies and blessings of God were to come from what he was to what he became. Here's what he wrote about his experiences with God. It is of grace that any are saved. And in the distribution of that grace, he does what he will with his own. A right which many are ready enough to claim in their own concerns, though they are so unwilling to allow it to the Lord of all. Now we want grace. Even the most vile sinner today wants grace. He just doesn't want it from this Lord. The wicked sinner today wants mercy, wants blessing, but doesn't want it from this Lord. Israel today, as a nation, even right now, we could apply verses 20 and 21 to Israel and saying, this is the present unbelief. I heard an amazing statistic last night from somebody we would all know. I'm not going to call his name out, but it's somebody that we would all know or have heard of. And it was just a, it was just a stat. He said, going all the way back to the mid-40s, in, in Israel alone, there was only 650,000 Jews in Israel, in the actual land, the boundaries. He said there's now 9 million. There's 9 million Jews in Israel. And the sad reality is, is of those 9 million, most of them are in unbelief. Still today, most are in unbelief. Will it ever be able to be said about Israel? Is it because they didn't hear? No. I would say the same thing about our nation. Is it because the nation of America has not heard? No, primarily it's because they refuse to obey. When God finally pours out judgment on this nation and on every nation in the world, and on every individual, it will not be because they will not be able to claim, I never heard. Their only claim will be, I heard it, but I didn't obey it. This morning, if you need to come to Christ, come to Christ. Everyone who believes the preaching of the gospel is the vital means appointed by a sovereign God to gather his own. 
We have no authorization from the scripture to make to believe that people dying without Christ have any hope of eternal glory with God. Apart from the gospel, man is hopeless. Sinners must believe in Christ in order to be saved. You must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. But let us not forget our purpose as a church. The gospel is to be preached. People must hear the gospel in order to believe. Ask yourself the question this morning personally, church. Why do we exist? Okay, why do you think a church exists? Why are we here? And if we're going to continue, why are we going to continue? What reason do we have to continue? I will tell you from the bottom of my heart and from everything I am, if it's not going to be about preaching the gospel so that the world may hear and that whosoever will may come and proclaiming sound biblical doctrine, then why exist at all? This is what God has given us to do. And he's given us the opportunity to say, preach this gospel. Oh, many are not going to obey it. As a matter of fact, I'm coming to the realization that most are not going to obey the gospel. But we shouldn't stop preaching it because people don't obey it. And I think the more and more we preach the gospel to our own church body, because I'm never going to be convinced that just because we attend a church, just because we sit here, means that we have actually believed and called upon the name of the Lord. The same Lord... The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him.